Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on investinginregenerativeagriculture.com slash course or in the show notes description below. Why is Tesla such a good model to follow for regenerative agriculture? Why should we focus on the affluent market first? And should we focus on investing in quote-unquote boring infrastructure for processing, drying, fermentation, etc.? Listen today to an interview which covers a wide range of topics, from plant medicine to the European agriculture policy cap, and why we should subsidize farm workers instead of hectares under management. Enjoy! This is the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, where we talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land and our sea, grow our food, what we eat, wear and consume. And it's time that we as investors, big and small, and consumers start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. To make it easy for fans to support our work, we launched our membership community. And so many of you have joined us as a member. Thank you. If our work created value for you, and if you have the means, and only if you have the means, consider joining us. Find out more on gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. That is gumroad.com slash investing in regenag. Or find the link below. Welcome to another episode. Today with a category defining brand and flagship destination in the heart of Ibiza. Designing around circular regenerative models for food, farming and community. Welcome Christian. Thank you very much. And... There is a lot to unpack, obviously, in, in that sentence alone, but I think uh, we're going to do that and we have time for that. But I want to start with your personal story, because you're not from there. Um, you're not from Ibiza. You're not um, born on a farm, if no. I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you end up focusing on building uh, building Juntus, which is uh, what you're building at the moment? What was your journey towards? Oh, towards my soil? God. You know, that's a uh, <laughs> that's a big answer. I mean, sometimes I feel like everything I've experienced in life has led me to this uh, point. So it's hard to pick a specific moment of uh, um, of 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 uh, of inspiration. But uh, in essence, uh, I think the first time when it started was um, you know, in the course of two months, I got married. I had went to a plant medicine retreat, and I became a father at the same time. And I think uh, this just uh, opened up um, a lot of reflections for me. Uh, and I think uh, you know, becoming a father automatically, you start thinking further out into the future. Uh, but also through during this retreat i had a moment sitting in the forest and uh, growing up in sweden i spent a lot of time in nature and sitting there in nature it was really a huge revelation of of fully embodying the appreciation that we are all connected 
and that the forest is a community of sentient living beings that are uh, 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 working together in a organic system. And uh, it was just a mind-blowing experience to realize that every tree, every plant, every bush is connected and communicate and collaborate and cooperate in a system. And we are part of this system and everything we have is thanks to this system. And if we want to have a future to believe in, we need to be in service of this system. And this is this is how, uh, you know, the journey started uh, in essence. Um, and uh, the next step of the question is how, how to arrive in, <laughs> in Ibiza, I guess. And... Um, yeah, I mean, because you can, of course, then focus. I mean, you can take many paths after that that revelation, um, from forest conservation to to NGO work, activist, and 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 somehow you ended up fi- founding a farm, restaurant, food brand, <laughs> and, and building way more. So why I'm always interested in uh, yeah. why that path of the other million options you could have done having yeah, this revelation. Yeah, so I I think Ibiza has always been very close to my heart. The first time I came here was 20 years ago. And, you know, for some people, when they arrive on this island, it's just like a instant connection. Uh, it is an island that has a very feminine energy. It's um, it has it's a it's an island that has attracted rebels and seekers and dreamers and pirates for uh, many, many, many hundreds of years. And it, it really has a very specific spirit. And um, I like to, to say that, you know, if you're in London or in Stockholm or in Amsterdam, maybe one in a hundred, if you're lucky, look you in the eyes, give you a smile, give you a hug. And here it's more like one in 10. It's just the, the, the human connection here is really beautiful. Uh, and the nature and environment is very beautiful as well. So I've always had in the back of my mind that one day I would like to try to live on this island because of this special energy and this uh, special feeling. Um, <clears throat> but after that experience, uh, I, I, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to live closer to nature. I wanted to spend more time in nature and ideally I would like to be uh, in service of nature, um, and, and more from a per- perspective of forest, really to take responsibility of a forest, wild and uh, natural zones and trying to support it. Um, I was very inspired by a project in Argentina, uh, uh, which is, um, uh, uh, replanting cloud forest at the top of uh, of the Andean mountain range. Uh, so, so it was coming from that point of view of of long term land custodianship. So that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing was to um, uh, to try to grow organic food more from a personal health point of view, because after these experiences and starting to go deeper, it just became so obvious. We, we spray poison on plants decide to ki- designed to kill and then these plants absorb these poisons and then we eat these plants and then our bodies absorb this poison and then we wonder why s- diseases like ALS and cancer are skyrocketing in our societies. Uh, it just became so obvious um, and we watched this documentary about seed and we realized, wow, you know, how, how, how complex and beautiful and wonderful nature is and, 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 and uh, how we we are uh, interfering with this beautiful and perfect technology, basically. 
Uh, and the third thing was was really about uh, human uh, uh, the human dimension. And growing up, I've always been, you know, in my family, as many families in Sweden, we suffered a lot from from alcohol addiction, depression, anxiety, and so on. Um, and and um, I've always been interested in this. I worked five years for an NGO uh, right out of high school, and really. I've always been curious about you call it the human human experience and human suffering and how we can become uh, uh, more happy and I spent many many years now uh, 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 playing an active role in the uh, in the space of psychedelics um, and in particular psychedelics uh, for healing of of mental illness and uh, psychedelic assisted psychotherapy uh, it's been a big part of my life the last 10 years and uh, people refer to the psychedelic renaissance and i really think that the psychedelic renaissance is pav- paving the way for the regenerative uh, renaissance uh, in in the sense that it really helps us get uh, uh, um um well effectively ego this uh, puts plans well, e- plans on the map <laughs> yeah, as well yeah well i think uh, psychedelics in general uh, you know back in the days they talked about um, you know oneness uh, and this uh, ah, you mean the other route of of we the more people legally in many cases of course and and safely can go through these experiences the more they can have that same realization as you and and see sort of the inevitability of regeneration and the connectedness and the the enormous potential and the just complete sense making no that's not a sentence but anyway the 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 potential of uh, the number of people open to to these concepts will just exponentially grow as more people go through through these experiences and and are exposed to it let's say exposed yeah to i mean essentially you know imperial college came out with a with a quite meaningful study where they looked at the brain under in under the influence of psilocybin and just seeing we have a part of the brain that is called the default mode network which is kind of the conductor of the brain so all our accumulated experiences create certain um uh, learnings so that we don't have to relearn everything from scratch and it's part of evolution it's how we evolve it's how we learn it's how we get better at things but it, sometimes we have a traumatic experience in life like for example you come back from a holiday and then you stand there in front of a class and you're going to talk about your summer experience and then someone cracks a joke and everyone laughs and then you go back and you say i never want to see, speak in front of people again and then you create this truth in your mind that says i'm not good at speaking in front of people it's not because you're not good at speaking in front of people because you had a traumatic experience an embarrassing moment and 20 years later you still repeating this narrative no 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 i'm not good at speaking in front of people and you have forgotten what this experience was it's buried deep down in your memories uh, but actually it's it's not about your capacity to speak in front of people and 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 what happens when you have a psychedelic experience is that the default no- the activity of the default mode network goes down and the connectivity in the brain goes up so you're creating new neural pathways which helps you look at the world with a fresh pair of eyes and many people describe something called like an out of body experience where you're effectively observing yourself 
from the outside in and you're observing your thoughts and you can identify where you get stuck in loops or where you are stuck in a perception that maybe not reflects reality, a reflection of I'm not good at speaking in front of people or people don't appreciate me or I'm not good at this and I'm not... Uh, 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 or farmers shouldn't be this way. What, what would happen if all farmers go through or big groups of farmers go through those experiences? Or is that what's happening? Well, yeah. I, um, yes and no. I think suddenly you might be open to new ways and, and you see the plow is very different and not longer essential well, or you see the connectedness with with the plants you're growing or the animals well, or the trees etc no but it's run. so for example when you have a psychedelic experience you might realize like wow why do i not pay more attention to my children when i'm at home it really hurts them or why am i not more present and helpful with my partner and things like this and of course if you are a farmer it's very likely that you will have this uh, realization that's saying, wow, the way I'm farming actually have a very negative impact on the ecosystem that I love. And I think, you know, I, I, I struggle to believe that there's many people that are work dedicating their lives to working in nature without having a deep, profound connection with nature. And I've been speaking to many people about this. I think it's it's not a lack of awareness it's a lack of tools and it's 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 about offering a model that is makes financial sense i think many farmers are ready to transition if if they are provided with the tools and in this particular uh, case I don't think that farmers need to take psychedelics. I think it's about uh, consumers need to take psychedelics to appreciate, you know, number one, you realize you look at yourself not from your personal perspective. You look at it yourself and your life from a more collective perspective. And in the beginning, you become more aware of how your actions are affecting others. And then you become aware how others' uh, actions affect yourself. And then... The next step is to become aware of how our collective actions, both on an individual level and aggregated on a collective level, what the impact it has on the, the natural world. And this is where I think uh, uh, um, the psychedelic experience and especially plant medicine, which is the next evolution, if you compare what happened in the 60s where it was you know, mainly LSD and psilocybin and what, what we are experiencing today, which is, you know, uh, uh, um, plant medicine that are arriving from indigenous cultures and indigenous traditions and it's not necessarily what the plant medicines are bringing themselves but with the tools that they bring and I think there's many conversations around um, indigenous wisdom for example and what is indigenous wisdom in its essence um, you know it can be many many things and there's a lot of knowledge and a lot of wisdom that is kept by by, by communities all around the world. But if you look at this smallest common denominator, what is the red thread that is going through all of these cultures, the appreciation for nature. And I think this is what I've experienced as I've engaged with different cultures and traditions from, from around the world, this, this deep and profound appreciation for the natural world. And in every single moment of coming together, whether it's for ceremony or for cere celebration, there's always, nature is always at the heart of this, uh, giving thanks to nature, praying for nature, celebrating nature, and reminding ourselves that we are part of the natural world. And if we want to have a future to believe in, we need to be in service of this natural world. And we need to invest into this natural world. And we need to be very aware of how 
our actions, which consequences it has on the natural world. And this, I think, is the greatest gift of, 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 of these times when, when, when we are becoming more aware of this. And this is, you know, at the end of the day, what moves uh, politicians and what moves big companies is ultimately the, the power of voters and the power of consumers. And the more people that become aware of the consequences of their uh, uh, decisions and the consequences of their votes, the the, the greater change we're going to see in both our public policies and in the the the, the value chains of our companies and the and the uh, 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 and the consequences of those. Yeah, and I think it's a strong point to make in a sense that it's not that you can unsee it. Like just as. As, as farmers, when they start a transition, they go through it and they see the complexity, but also the potential. And in, after you, you've seen or felt or, or somewhere in the middle of those two, um, the, the, the true size or the true importance and your place within nature, it's not that you a day later think, okay, I'll just continue my normal life. Like that, that's not something that, that happens. Um, like it's a switch that is switched and then you're in sort of in another in another realm. So every time that happens, we have another another soul on the on another side, which is great. Meaning uh, somebody's going to create impact either through uh, through eating, through building companies like yourself, through other things. Um, so and then so Ibiza is that seems to be a hotspot for that. At the same time, it's known, of course, as as a party island, and it has a massive industry around that. And so when you sort of combined your vision of I want to live at some point on the island and I want to combine it with this this deep belonging and deep need or deep interest of working in and within and with nature. How did you end up on 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 Juntus and how did you how did that manifest itself as it's manifesting now? Yeah, so so basically, um, me and my wife, we moved here with our two kids. Uh, we found a beautiful piece of land with a, 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 a really special forest and uh, these stone-walled uh, terraced, uh, uh, terraces that that went down, and just incredible. Um, you know this this technology of the of the of the terraces that have been built over hundreds of years and you know we can have a torrential rain and half an hour later it's just completely absorbed by the land so it's um, basically an erosion control system and um, our intention was first to be uh, in in service of the forest to man manage the forest and maintain the forest and in Ibiza it means to clear the pine trees because you know it's it's it creates a big fire hazard but also the dominance of the pine species suffocates a lot of the other uh, uh, species in the forest so it's it's really about managing and nurturing the forest to to maximize biodiversity and the second was to cultivate the lands to feed ourselves and friends and the community that we're part of and the third was to bring people together for um, you know, celebrations and ceremonies uh, to connect, help people connect with themselves, with each other, and and to nature. And this is this were the star starting point. And um, to begin with, I didn't have any commercial intentions with it. It was really about uh, a journey, an exploratory journey of 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 grounded in in the willingness to be in service of nature. Uh, so that's where it started, and slowly. Along this journey, um, 
you know, always I had in the back of my mind uh, that, uh, you know, this this needs to be financially viable. So I cannot keep covering the costs forever. But um, and uh, and I always had an an idea that. You know, we need to find other ways to activate farms. And this idea that a farm does not have to be only a place of production. It can be a place uh, where people come together, where people celebrate together. Um, so really essentially activating event and hospitality revenues. And there was always an idea that, um, you know, we, we need to walk up the value chain uh, to go from... Uh, uh, raw materials to value-added products and to increase the margins, but also on the distribution side, make sure that especially small um, establishing brands, it's extremely difficult to build a company in a traditional retail model because it's a very inefficient uh, distribution channel. Uh, you are... Um, you know, first of all, it costs a lot to uh, uh, to distribute through retailers. They take a big chunk of your margins from the sales price, uh, and then you're also stuck with inventory that don't moves in in certain shops, and you run out of inventory in other shops where it do move. So it's it's extremely inefficient. So the idea was always, you know, somewhere to think about uh, um, events, hospitality, value added product, and 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 direct to consumer. And and this was linked to my uh, experience as, um, you know, I've spent the last 10 years in venture, early stage investment uh, uh, world and, um, you know, had my own startups and invested in many different startups. And some of them were consumer products companies uh, building a direct to consumer market. So I think somewhere this was always in the back of my mind, but I was not investing into it proactively at that point i just had a had a clear revelation walking on the land one day which was our existing food system is fundamentally destructive it depletes the soils it depletes our watersheds and it it reduces the insect population in the ecosystem and if you extrapolate this it's a very predictable outcome um, and in that moment I realized wow regenerative agriculture it really works number one <laughs> and number two you can measure it and number three you can verify it uh, which means that you know this is going to be the future it, there is just no other option than uh, uh, regenerative agriculture being a huge part of the solution to our existential challenges to our relationship to nature and um, and at that point i decided we need to go for this and it, it's 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 not a problem of agriculture system it's a value chain problem and it's a problem of um, infrastructure basically uh, infrastructure across the value chain and uh, making sure that we can build a model that makes financial sense for the participants and um, that's when I decided to really go all in <laughs> so to say and there are many different moving parts in, in Juntus let's un unpack it a bit of course there's a farming piece 
um, which wants to supply or, or is supplying uh, Ibiza, which imports like many islands, especially the tourism ones, and 90 plus percent of, of stuff from overseas, or in this case, uh, mainland Spain and, and the rest of Europe. 96 and, and on Ibiza. 96. Okay. <laughs> so there's, there's, there's a lot to do there, but you didn't stop there. So there's a, a processing, which is a, a, not the right word here, but like a um, like infrastructure, as you mentioned before, to transform a lot of these things, um, but also keep make it visitable, like you said, the community piece, and and make it uh, not a closed factory where where one end um, ingredients go in and the other end products come out. Um, so that's combined. That's another layer which is open to other producers as well, not just uh, your farm. Um, mm-hmm. And so let's unpack those a bit and then let's unpack the piece that should leave Ibiza, which is which is very interesting because you could have stopped there and say, okay, we need production, we need uh, processing, we need fermentation, we need which we need ourselves, but also others. So let's focus on that and let's supply as much of Ibiza as possible. Um, what is the, the vision there and what is the, the, the current status? And then we'll unpack the, the piece that's beyond the island. So um, basically the way I see it is we have a value chain challenge and you know uh, you can split up the value chain in two parts it's the supply and the demand and what we just talked about was the demand side how can we um, you know create additional uh, sources of revenue and how can we increase the margins um, on the commercial side on the revenue side on the demand side Um, but there's also the supply side and uh, what I learned through building out a regenerative farm myself is that you know essentially we we need to build go from large-scale focused monoculture farming to small-scale diversified farming and um, you know there's a challenge in that it's not an unsurmountable challenge but there is a challenge there in that instead of doing one thing in a large scale you need to do many things in a small scale and when you do things in a small scale of course the investments are less than if you do it in a big scale but you still need to obtain the knowledge you need to invest into tools, you need to invest into infrastructure, and you need to invest into operations. Um, And you need to do this for multiple activities. And for each activity, it takes time before you start to earning uh, revenues on the activity. For example, if you plant almond trees, it takes three to five years before you have your first uh, harvest. So you have a pretty meaningful upfront investment and then you have several years before you start to benefit from that investment. Other activities in a farming system can be quicker but all of them uh, um, there is a certain level of degree uh, delay and when you start to add up these complementary activities you start to add up capex and opex and um, you know for me I was fortunate I could afford to do this but even then you know you start there in the beginning it's super exciting oh yeah let's plant almond trees yeah let's do that okay so how are we going to gain the knowledge oh we need to find the find someone that knows okay and now we know okay which variety should we choose and where should we source them and how do we need to prepare the soil and how can we and 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 what do we need in order to plant them and then what do we need to prune them and then what do we need to harvest them and then what do we need to store them and then you come to the bees and then you need to do, go through the same journey with the bees and then you come to the saffron and then you come to the grains and then you come to the sheep and you come to the chicken and it's it adds up and it 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 becomes very heavy 
to to carry and you know i have a lot of appreciation and sympathy for uh, conventional farmers that are being proposed this um, uh, this challenge of, of of transitioning and and effectively you need to take something that you know may work uh, financially or may not work financially but what's what's proposed to you is to go through a significant effort in time energy and money and then arrive at a place on the other side where there's a huge amount of uncertainty about what you will be able to generate in terms of revenue and unfortunately many of the farms that have transitions don't generate enough money so you 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 have farmers that are looking at this and saying okay i get it we need to change our ways but what you are proposing for me is a significant investment that will take me to a point of uh, of loss making <laughs> so you know it's 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 very difficult to convince someone to 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 do that um and and uh, it's our job and me saying though from the capital markets and from the business community to create this certainty for the farmers we are the ones that can understand how to create value in the market we are the ones that understands how to raise capital and invest into infrastructure and we have the tools to manage risk and the risk and and um, the risk needs to be put on a market not on farmers and 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 this is where in juntos what we as i was going through these investments for myself to invest into this infrastructure for our various farming activities it just dawned on me that we should do this collectively and it makes so much more sense if we spread this investment on a community of farmers rather than on one single farmer because if i have 15 hectares of almonds it's very difficult to justify any meaning investment into infrastructure for almonds but we if we are 10 farmers with 15 hectares of almonds, so all of a sudden we're talking about 150 hectares. And if we are 100, then we're talking about 1,500 hectares of almonds, and then it starts to make sense. And um, and 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 this is where we need to, to look at. And 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 from Juntos, what our assumption is that, you know, if you're going to manage. Um, five to ten complementary farming activities you also don't want to go to five to ten different locations that might be 45 minutes to half one and a half hours away for each of these activities you want to have one hub that you connect into and this is the place where you can uh, gain access to soil where you can get access to seed to seedlings to harvesting tools to processing facilities to transformation kitchens to uh, distribution centers to farmers markets to events through uh, uh, support um, you know administrative support you know how to gain access to um, to grants how do you how do you optimize grant applications how do you prepare grant applications who do you send it to how do you follow up how do you make sure that it's being processed how do you gain access to uh, uh, marketing how do you gain access to capital and there's a lot of benefits we can extract by thinking of this as ecosystems rather than thinking of this as individual projects and 
And so you bought a hub. <laughs> like, that's that's basically, I mean, many of these things think, ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, of course we should do that. Et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> In this case, you you made it actionable, let's say. So well, last year, we are recording this beginning of 2023, but in, you bought a, an old dairy farm and pr- processing a facility in, uh, in in the heart of Ibiza. Yeah, you know, the, 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 this was one of those synchronistic moments. I, I realized that my, my farm was in a beautiful protected zone and, and just to invest in infrastructure there just didn't ma- make sense. You know, a production kitchen in a beautiful valley that is on top of it protected. Even if I could get the licenses, I wouldn't want to build something there. You want to protect this. So... I was looking for a land with with um, you know a more industrial character and then I stumbled on this dairy farm that had been abandoned for 7 or 8 years uh, but it had uh, 600 square meters of buildings and 6000 square meters of um, industrial uh, shade covers for 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 the cattle and um, that's where the vision of building this hub came into uh, 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 existence where I thought, wow, if we can transform these cow sheds into climate controlled indoor space and where we, through uh, a modular system, can slowly start building out the infrastructure that we need, the shared infrastructure that we need, then we can really create something very, very special and meaningful. And as I mentioned before, you decided not to just keep that closed. Like this is meant to be, I think you said Disneyland for foodies, uh, or that might be my words, but the, this is meant to be open. Um, and and so describe a day in the future, obviously this is all future talking, yeah. um, but describe a day in a year or so, a year and a half, uh, let's say for a visitor, not necessarily a farmer producer, but for a visitor, what could he or she or they do? So, um, you know, I see this as a um, uh, as a hub for the entire value chain. So if we start with uh, soil, you know, a real soil lab, a real composting soil lab, um, the next step would be seed seed banks. The next step would be seedlings. Uh, the next step would be a tree nursery, and then on the other side of the cultivation, and, and obviously education facilities. So as a farmer, you can arrive there, you can get classes, you can get education, you can get plugged into a community where you can ask questions and get answers and you can get access to all the basic input materials that you need. And then on the other side of the cultivation, you can get support with harvesting, you can get support with processing, you can get support with transformation. So I see um, uh, pr- uh, transformation, uh, processing facilities for grain, uh, grain mill, bakery, uh, and a deli where you can enjoy the bread. So building out the value chain and over time slowly building out the value chain for all the key uh, uh, components of a regenerative system here. So here on Ibiza, for example, we're in a Mediterranean climate. Almonds work super well. Uh, Saffron, uh, carob, um, um, grain, all kinds of grains and legumes uh, and obviously fresh produce. So, So I see... All of these lines there and then also uh, arts and crafts using local materials. Um, you know, it's really important if we want to help have a healthy uh, 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 managed forest. We also need to 
create some form of utility for the biomass that we bring out. And what better way to do that than a you know carpentry and wood workshop? So I can see you arrive there as a family. Uh, you can uh, participate in a, a, a clay pottery workshop or a natural dye workshop or a carpentry workshop. You can uh, uh, participate in a seedling production workshop how do you make your own seedlings how do you prepare your beds how do you uh, 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 store uh, uh, produce how do you transform produce how do you pickle how do you ferment how do you create kombucha how do you make wine um, really about educating and bringing people into to, to educational activities on one hand and then on the other hand um you know, coming together in celebration, there's something really beautiful that happens when people engage with nature and then come together with a little bit of music, a little bit of food, a little bit of wine. And, um, and um, you know, I really see a place for the whole family to enjoy, the children, the grandparents, the dogs, um, and, and a space where you arrive 10 in the morning and you stay till 10 in the night. Um, and... Uh, Education, entertainment, food, and nature. And you could have stopped there in a sense, like this is already probably, let's say for producers and for the general public and of course for, for Ibiza. Actually, let's start with a the question there. Like why, and because you mentioned in the pre-call, we had that this is the perfect island to do it or the perfect place to do it. If it can happen, it like... It, if it can happen here, not saying if it can happen here, it can happen everywhere, but this is a perfect place to start something like this and then to spread out. Like, why is that? Why is Ibiza, which has a, a let's say, a party name for many, and, and mm -hmm. I, I understand the northern part of the island is different, but has a, has a, let's say, a different tone to it or has a tone to it. And why is it such a perfect place for a regenerative renaissance to start? So I think we need to rebuild the 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 culture and the energy and the spirit of the of the countryside and i think a lot of people when they are thinking about wow i'm living in the city um i would love to move out of the city but where should i move and uh, what type of community would i plug into and what would we do and how would we live and i think it's about the farm can be one of these uh, uh, points where a community gather and where people uh, um where you can start to build this social fabric that draws people back into the natural cycle and into the agricultural cycle and reconnect with food production. And, and in order to do that, the idea is, you know, the farm does not just have to be a place of production. It can also be a place where people gather, where the community gathers. Um, and... In order to do that, you need to bring energy and you need to bring vibe and you need to bring spirit. And it's very difficult sometimes. Uh, most of the artists, most of the creative people are, are, are in the big cities. But what's wonderful with the Ibiza is that you have this rural community, but really with a cosmopolitan lifestyle. And, and many people... Many things are very difficult to do on Ibiza uh, from a business point of view, but what's very easy to do is to create a wonderful atmosphere. We have so many creative people, we have so many artists, we have so many musicians, we have so many people that love what they're doing from chefs to bartenders to people who are making small batch artisan products and 
And this is what I think we can really do is, is, is this idea of putting culture back into agriculture and create this idea of what can a farm be and how can it be to gather in a rural area and, and come together and, and, and create culture together. So this is one of the things that we can do on Ibiza that is really interesting. I think another thing that is uh, quite interesting with Ibiza is that you have, it's a very small island and it's a closed ecosystem. And today we are extremely dependent on uh, external input. If the ferries stop arriving, it's only a matter of days before we are running out of seedlings, we are running out of uh, uh, grain, we are running out of food in the supermarket. So it's a very good um, uh, uh, food security case study. And um, we are very fortunate to have a very long season and a very strong tourist population. And at the top of this pyramid, we have a, a, a very affluent tourist population that are trying to make better choices. Uh, and... Uh, what you see on Ibiza is that people are willing to pay for quality. Um, so we can fund these activities, we can fund um, these infrastructure investments uh, uh, through the uh, tourist uh, demand from the tourist population, but this infrastructure can also benefit greatly the local community, especially in the winter season. So I see, you know... Um, transformed products really being the bulk of the of the revenues uh, and the bulk of the margins uh, but they are effectively subsidizing affordable uh, food for the local population so this is how i'm thinking and 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 what's left behind if we ever need to transition to self sufficiency we have that infrastructure so really leveraging the tourist economy to build the infrastructure that can then be repurposed for for self-sufficiency. And if we can build a model here that we can show can sustain the life of a community of 150,000 people, then this is something that can potentially be replicated in many rural areas and communities um, all around Europe and, and, and America. And let's talk a bit about the, the impact you want to have and, and that final piece of the, the puzzle, which is beyond the island. And so what, what are you planning there with, with a few, I think, top products or key products, like things that travel well? Because, of course, these affluent um, tourists, they, they go back home at some point. In many cases, some cases they stay. Uh, but let's say a majority goes back at some point and you would like to, to keep engaging them, but also to keep using some of their affluence to, to fund transition and regeneration elsewhere. So what are you planning there? Well, I, I think... You know, we need to take it step by step. In 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 Ibiza, things work. When you do something that the local community likes, um, then uh, uh, the tourist comes. So you need to start where you are and start to service the community that is around you. So that that is where we start to invest into the local farming community here and offer amazing experiences and amazing products and amazing services for the local community of the north of Ibiza and the whole island. But really, we are based in the north of the island, which is a little bit more alternative. And through that, we will attract the attention of the tourists. And um, we 
intend to send them home with an amazing experience and an amazing feeling and something that will travel far and wide way beyond the boundaries of our island and and help build demand at the top of the market and um, this is what we have on Ibiza we have an outside outsized demand but um uh, what we have in the mainland Spain, especially in the southern part of Spain, Andalusia, Murcia, Almeria, this is the largest agricultural region in Europe, uh, but it's also the oldest population in Europe and the poorest population in Spain. So they have an incredible amount of farmland in desperate need of transition, but they have a very weak local economy and very, very far from the end consumers. And it's very difficult for these rural communities to create brands and distribution that reaches the type of customers that are willing to pay a premium for the right type of products with the right type of value chains that are aligned with our ecosystem needs. Um, so I see that we, what we can do is to capture the, the demand of the visa and then connect that with the supply of southern Spain. And uh, by doing so, help create demand at a attractive price to start creating incentives for farms uh, to transition in the mainland, which is really where the big work needs to happen. And, and do you see that, I mean, you say step by step, like how soon is that, how soon are you touching, let's say, or indirectly um, influencing so, also the mainland in, in Spain? So I think, um, you know, we, we are working in parallel. Um, we've been investing already five years into our local farm operations here in Ibiza. We are already servicing 13 restaurants. We already sell in the supermarkets. We already have direct consumers for our veggie boxes. We also distribute the few transformed products that we actually have here, primarily honey, but also saffron. And now uh, this winter we are building our uh, uh, community uh, transformation kitchen. So we will start to uh, uh, create um, a larger activity of small batch artisan products for local distribution. But in parallel with this, we are working with farmers that we know on the mainland that are doing an incredible uh, job transitioning their farms. And um, we are already developing our first range of products uh, uh, from partner farms in the mainland. And what we're focusing on primarily is uh, essential oils and nuts. And I think essential oils and nuts are uh, two great places to start. You know, essential oils, aromatics, um, they thrive in arid soils and they can, uh, uh, um, you know, Uh, deal with very tough conditions um, and actually the tougher the conditions the the stronger the potency of the of the of the aromatics so i think aromatics and essential oils and any derivatives from that is a great way to start um start the engine somehow and then i think almonds is a great Uh, crop that uh, over the last five to ten years there's been an incredible amount of plantation of uh, regenerative almonds in this region so we are working with almond producers, pistachio, walnuts and there we're looking at very simple ways to transform those uh, what we see here on the retail side is that you know you get a, more or less a 10x uplift in retail value if you 
uh, activate and dehydrate your almonds. <laughs> so a pack of activated dehydrated almonds you can sell for 10 times more than just a uh, a, a retail pack of normal almonds. So, starting with very simple. Just, just a stupid question. What is active? What are activated almonds? <laughs> so, activated. Basically, you put put them in. You put the almonds into water, and then you start basically the sprouting process. Uh, so, you activate. Uh, you know in more esoteric terms, the, the, the kind of life force of the almond, the reproductive process, and that releases a lot of healthy and beneficial enzymes. And, and, uh, and then you take them and then you put them in 50 degrees temperature and you dehydrate them. Um, and, uh, and then they become deliciously crunchy and it feels like toasted almonds but actually they're just dehydrated and they preserve extremely well so these are very simple and basic techniques but they create an extremely uh, uh, delicious product and increasingly more and more people see uh, a value in this and are willing to pay a premium for it and i think you know, we need to look at how can we target the premium market. It's not because I want to be elitistic, but I think Tesla showed this better than any other company. On how how do you how do you launch a new concept in a capex-heavy, low-margin industry? And uh, what they did was not starting with the Model Three for forty thousand dollars to a mass market uh, audience you start with the tesla supercharge uh, that is a sports car for 125,000 because there you have the highest margins and then you start to generate uh, cash flow and then you use that to invest into your infrastructure to increase your production capacity to bring down your unit cost and then you can come out with the model s for 90,000 and then you keep investing into your value chain keep investing into your infrastructure bring your unit cost down even further and then you can come out with model x for 70,000 and then you keep investing and then eventually you have a mass market product for 40,000 and i think this is where we need to go. Right now, the fundamental problem is that we have a subsidy regime that is not aligned with the the financial needs of regenerative agriculture or small-scale diversified farming. Um, what we need is OPEX subsidies. We don't need scale incentives. Um, we need OPEX subsidies and we need subsidies that reward and incentivize intercropping and diversity. And before we have these subsidies, we are competing in a uh, rigged market, basically. We are competing against a subsidized alternative. And before the government subsidies fall into place, which they will eventually, how can we subsidize it? We can subsidize it by private consumers that can afford to pay a premium for what they perceive to be quality. And that's where we need to start. And, and then over time, we will be able to start to show regulators that, look, this is how the value chain looks like. And if you put these types of subsidies over here, then you're going to have this type of uh, impact on the margin profile in the other side of the value chain. And this is um, this is our vision for Juntos, is to really try to offer high-quality products uh, with a regenerative supply chain, 
where we capture, validate and transparently present our regenerative impact data and, uh, and make sure that we give access to high quality products to people that are willing to pay a premium to show regulators and show the markets that this is what we want. And so many, so many pieces to unpack there, but <laughs> fascinating, fascinating. No, no, it's, it's a fascinating vision and step plan that I think is a first here uh, on the podcast. For sure, I'm going to get emails, but, um, <laughs> and then how do you combine that with accessibility for specifically the local non-affluent uh, population in, in Ibiza? How do you, uh, let's say, um, how do you dance with that tension? Well, you know, basically we think about it in terms of enterprise stacking. So, you know, we're going to stack a number of uh, commercial activities on top of each other. Um, you know, everything from our event schedule, we're going to try to uh, uh, do events where we can, uh, which we can monetize. We're going to try to uh, offer, well, we already do. We have a restaurant in, in San Mateo that we opened this summer and that is doing really well. And restaurants, if you, if you get it right, you can make really good money on this island. And then uh, I think we're going to be able to have very healthy financial uh, uh, performance of, of, of value-added transformed products. And that will hopefully enable us to be able to offer uh, uh, fresh produce to a local market at reasonable prices. So, you know, every single activity in your business does not have to maximize profit necessarily. As long as there is a sufficient amount of uh, uh, business activities that generate a surplus, then we can have other activities that can um, that can be run on on lower margins and be made more more accessible. And so what would you, I mean, shifting gears a bit and I want to be conscious of your time as well. There's so much to back here, but I will, we'll keep that for, for future episodes um, as well. What would you tell, obviously without giving investment advice, but as you have been and are still are both on the investor side and investee side, what, what would be your main message to investors? Like look for boring, infra boring, quote unquote, uh, infrastructure or, or let's say I usually like to ask this question. Imagine we're in a theater and we're doing this in person and there are a few hundred people or a few thousand people in the audience and mainly from, let's say in London, from the investment world, what would you like to give um, to them as the main message or where to look, where to dig a bit deeper, where to learn um, if they want to start putting money to work? Look, at the end of the day, we are at the cusp of one of the biggest uh, economic opportunities we've seen in our lifetime. Basically, every single product in every single shelf of every single supermarket in every single town in all of Europe and all of America and the rest of the world need to be replaced with a re re product with a regenerative uh, value chain. So, I mean, Lombard Odier released this campaign they call it the superhero it's focused on soil and they state that there's a 1.5 trillion investment opportunity in this in the in the transition of our food system so i think that's the first thing we need to <coughs> appreciate this is not a small thing this is a huge thing and and it's gonna be big 
and it's going to be profitable eventually. And we need to be bold and we need to be long term and we need to invest across the entire value chain. And um, basically, it's we need to look at what they did in Sil- Silicon Valley. You know, the investors into Google, I, I don't know the exact numbers. I think they invested more than $100 million before Google was built. And this is the type of mindset we have to have. We need to invest like our existence depend on it. And we need to forget about short-term profitability we need to take big bold bets on the future here and we need to invest all across the value chain because if we create supply but don't create demand then you know the return on the investment on the supply side is going to be very (laughs) very low and if we invest in the demand side but we don't have the supply then we're not going to be able to to recover those investments as well so uh, we need we need big bold investments on across the value chain from you know demand generating activities from festivals to restaurants through products and brands and you know really create a cultural movement invest into a cultural movement and then we need to invest in in retail we need to invest in distribution we need to invest into online marketplaces uh, we need to invest into the infrastructure that is powering this industry, and we need to invest into the farming uh, uh, that that is ultimately the heart of this movement. And you know, across this value chain, there's a hundred different strategies and a hundred different types of investors. And I think you know, people just need to decide that hey, I'm going to take ten to 20% of my net worth and I'm going to dedicate this uh, into exploratory research, uh, exploratory investments now and don't be too focused on return on investment in the short term. You know, uh, why do we have the internet and the whole internet industry is because the US government put 800 billion into DARPA and just said to scientists like, go for it, see what's out there. And you know, so many amazing innovations and technologies came out of it that has created multiple industries. And and we need to be that bold now. And um, and I think we need to um, figure out where can I make a difference? Where is my core knowledge? If your co- core knowledge is infrastructure, figure out how do you invest into infrastructure to support this transition. If you're... Uh, uh, if your skill is uh, culture and entertainment, figure out how you can create awareness for this movement. If your uh, 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 skills and your core competency is um, marketing and distribution, then put your money there and be bold and be brave and be patient. And so what would you do if you had, I mean, not 800 billion, but 1 billion <laughs> to, let's say, euros to invest? Um, what would be your prioritization? I like, mean, what would be your priority areas? Well, <laughs> you know, first of all, I would put 30 million euros into Juntos <laughs> and finalize uh, 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 our 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 vision for our project here and then I would try to replicate it uh, but you know I would I would put uh, you know maybe a hundred million into exploratory investments right now and keep 700 million to double down where it works and I really think that you know at the core it's um, uh, you know we need to create demand and we need to create supply so I would invest <clears throat> 
you know, go into the rural areas and try to understand where are the bottlenecks. The way that we are thinking about it here is looking at what are the bottlenecks for the local farming community and how can we start investing into shared infrastructure that can reduce risk and reduce time to transition for the farmers. That's the first place. And 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 then on the other side, I would support platforms like Producers Market that try to create supply chain transparency, but not just supply chain transparency from an ESG point of view. We need to go one step further. It's not just about having the data and making it available. We need to tell the stories and tell the stories in a way that makes people feel something and and creates a a a, a, a something that attracts and brings people in and makes people curious and 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 and, um, and creates excitement so uh, i would invest on those two sides i would i would look for infrastructure for for farmers and i would uh, invest into marketplaces and and demand generation on the other side and what would you do if you had the magic power to to change one thing overnight? So I call this a, the magic one question. Um, what would you do? So no, no longer with the fund, uh, unfortunately, but you do have one wish or one um, magical change you can uh, imply, which which gets into effect tomorrow morning. Well, I would um, <laughs> I would shift a significant uh, amount of the subsidies uh, towards. Um, OPEX related subsidies you know it's it ultimately the big bottleneck here is that small scale diversified farming needs labor labor costs money and this is what is needed we need to today you get 300 euros per hectare per land that you cultivate in Europe uh, and they you get no added benefits if i plant almonds i get 300 euros but if i then do intercropping with grains or cereals or legumes i don't get another 300 and if i add bees to that i don't get another 300 uh, and if i add saffron i don't get another 300 but i do get another 300 if i plant another hectare of almonds and then another hectare of almonds and then another hectare of almonds so you know, if I have a thousand hectare of almonds, that's three hundred thousand euros. That's a really nice cop opex uh, uh, subsidy there that covers my my fixed costs. And this is how the system looks today. So, you know, what I would really do is to to say that anyone that hires a worker on a farm gets fifty percent of the salary uh, covered, and there is no added, uh, you know. <clears throat> social security costs uh, on top of that. This is really what we need to do. We need to make it possible to involve more people into the food production. And uh, I think this is going to happen naturally anyway. But, you know, with the speed and pace of AI and robotics, you know, human beings are going to be made redundant very, very fast. And what are people going to do? People talk about citizen salaries. Instead of giving people citizen salaries, subsidize farm workers, draw people in. If we can make it possible to run a farm with seven people instead of three people for the same cost, then people don't need to break their backs. People don't need to work seven days a week. You can have it as a part-time job even. And on the side, you can engage in creative industries, crafts and arts and music and food and creative industries where we don't want the AI to write our songs or define our recipes or design our clothes. So really that's the magic wand, you know, 
reallocate a huge amounts of the 50%, 50 billion euros that go to subsidizing the industrial agriculture today and make sure that they go to subsidizing farm workers so we get more hands into the soil and more people into nature and that's going to have tremendous impact on the you know scalability of our food system and the wellness of 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 of, of our population I think it's a perfect way to to end this episode. I want to thank you <laughs> so much for for your time. It was definitely not the magic wand answer I was expecting, and, but that's that's even better. And so, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for the work you do and for the path you take. And, and of course, good luck with raising, with finishing an old dairy plant into a Disneyland for foodies, and so much more of all what you do. Thank you so much, Cohn. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me and uh, keep doing the amazing work that you're doing as well. Thank you so much for listening all the way to the end. For the show notes and links we discussed in this episode, check out our website, investinginregenerativeagriculture.com forward slash posts. If you like this episode, why not share it with a friend or give us a rating on Apple Podcasts? That really helps. Thanks again and see you next time.